Hello, and welcome to some Derp's Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Commander and Magic the Gathering and maybe some other formats. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you show the focus on what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. And the game that I have been obsessing, is that a good word for it? Obsessing over recently, has been Magic the Gathering. A couple of friends of mine have been very casually like playing um, and I remember playing uh, what was then EDH, but is now Commander, uh, in college, and I really loved the format. And so I've been trying to convince them, I'm like, yes, let's play Commander, let's play Commander. So I bought them some pre-cons, we played a little bit, all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, I forgot how great Commander is. But I'm also at this weird paradox, because like... You know, obviously, I have a huge history with Magic. The when I was a, you know, when I was like thirteen or whatever, I was like going to PTQs um, and not doing the the best I ever got was a top eight once, um, which got me like four, you know, like pro tour points. But I was very proud at the time. Uh, but like, you know, I was very deeply invested in like super competitive magic. And then over time I got less and less, you know, I didn't have the money to keep up with it. Um, having to buy a new $300 deck every couple of months was just like too rough. And so I got more casual. We started playing multiplayer. We put it down for a while. We picked it up for a while, you know, uh, these sorts of things. And now I haven't really played magic for, for in, in like a serious way. Um, since like maybe 2012, right? So the past seven years of Magic the Gathering has a lot of new stuff that I am now uncovering. And I'm in this weird position of, hey, would you look at that? They made Commander, right? And they and they published these Commander precons that have a bunch of cool reprints, right? Like some cards that are really, really good in Commander, but like Commander only, like Lightning Greaves used to be like twenty bucks, and now it's like, well, now it's like five, but you know, it's it's still less because it gets you know because it gets reprinted in the Commander stuff. They're putting out new Commander stuff every year. Next year, there's a whole set that's being. Uh, designed specifically for commander it's suggested that commander is actually the most popular format of magic the gathering um and so i'm like this is great right like this is the kind of magic that i always thought was best multiplayer magic with these big long games where you have huge explosive turns right and you're and you're kind of playing for like a value game over time, that is when magic is is at its most fun, right? But I'm also in this weird position of, as I learn about, like, the intervening seven years of magic, right, I'm also brushing up against, like, the problems in those intervening seven years, as I see them. Other people would not call these things problems. Um, but, like, as I'm coming to, to learn what modern looks like, or what pioneer is starting to look like, um, or what standard is or was, right, I am also simultaneously coming to the conclusion that magic is bad and we should all feel bad for playing this bad game which i know is a little bit of a is a little bit of a hot take so paradoxically magic is better than ever and i've been never been so excited to play it but also i feel like it sucks and i don't ever want to do anything except for commander because i just read these things and i'm just like that sounds incredibly lame and unfun that's the starting point yeah. in my journey to this podcast episode. So uh, I'm going to offer a uh, a counterpoint of view, let's call it. 
Um, and as long-time listeners of the podcast will know, I have been playing Arena for a while. I have dropped off for the last month or two. Um, so I'm not up on the spoilers for the Return to Theros, I believe it is. Um, but I played a bunch of uh, a War of the Spark, a bunch of Eldraine, and a bunch of Magic, whatever the, the core set was over the summer. Um, and uh, uh, in that format, um, I have been playing, like they, they occasionally had events that were uh, Commander-esque, Um and I well, always brawl, right? Is the yeah, yeah, standard brawl. commander? Yeah, it's it's commander, but with only the cards that are available in arena, and I think it's just standard, and it's also like sixty card decks. Um, but yeah. it's still the same, only one copy of a card roll. Um, and I found those games to be a chore to like you have to win so many to get like the the weekly like cosmetic prizes. And I found those to be fairly to be a chore as compared to the standard ladder play, which is what I was really preferring at the time. Um, and uh, that's not to say I think uh, c- uh, Commander is bad. I think that you know the multiplayer aspect is is a thing that you don't get in Arena, and I think that um, when you're playing online against people who are uh, who are trying to win prizes, you get decks that are like super finely tuned. Um, even as much as like Commander try is, is actively a, a deck type that tries to keep you from optimizing too hard. Um, but I think part of what you're seeing is kind of the difference classically between kitchen table magic and uh and uh and you know standardized play magic and th- this is funny because uh, mark rosewater i, I shout this podcast all the time um but his his commute podcast um has uh he i think he has said that while commander might be this the the kind of most popular game game type they can have metrics on, that they suspect that Kitchen Table Magic is actually the most popular form of magic because that's just how it goes, right? Yeah. Um, in, in all of its forms. Um, uh, but, yeah, uh, why, don't, why don't you lay out your position and, and I'll go back and forth with you because I think... Yeah, I th- so I, I, do, I do see that because I actually think that Commander as a format is like, you know, the high, the high end of Commander also very much sucks. Um, part of it is kind of through just like the power in, you know... 30 years of magic the gathering uh even you know like even if you kind of discount the power nine and stuff like that right like just there is a lot of power to be found in uh in commander decks the thing that makes commander fun though is that like people in general aren't super playing to that sort of mega high power level all the time um and the slower more plotting nature of the game means there's more opportunities for you know like you to come back from behind um and do sort of things like that like okay so to break this down a little bit uh so when i was playing and this is obviously very outdated but just to like give a little bit of a reference when i was playing standard uh, magic at that competitive level it was not uncommon to lose the game on turn four, right? I was playing a white-green control deck whose whole thing was I need... Because I was playing against a bunch of goblins at the time. Goblins, if you got to turn four against goblins, they killed you, right? So if you were playing blue-white control, you just lost because there's no ramp in blue or white. But if you played white-green, you can ramp on turn two and then wrath on turn three, right? I can play rampant growth turn two and then my wrath of god on turn three and hope to god I can stabilize after that, right? That is an insanely fast format and is born partially out of the the fact that a 60 card deck with four duplicates means that you can just run really consistent really high-end powerful cards that are going to execute a very similar game type right 
over and over and over and over again, right? You might get a different combination of things. You might have a couple of different, like, redundant sort of win conditions, if that makes sense. But yeah, if I get my Goblin Pile Driver on the on the table on turn two, and I'm swinging into you, and it has protection from blue, and you just have absolutely nothing to respond to it with, it's going to kill you because it doesn't really care about the other goblins in the deck as long as there are other cheap goblins to be running and to be smashing face with right commander runs in the face of that because of two things first the highlander aspect of it uh the singleton aspect of it means that it is harder though not impossible for your deck to be that consistent right you can never run four goblin pile drivers and on top of that you have a hundred card deck instead of a 60 card deck so even if you do have right like some really intense card draw engines online and you're constantly sifting and sifting and sifting through your deck to try and find your power pieces it, you are still searching for at any individual time one percent of your deck essentially right that inconsistency plus the other some of the other pieces of this right commanders themselves being obviously uh always accessible from the command zone uh the starting life total in commander is 40 rather than 20 and because it's geared for multiplayer that means in order to win the game you have to deal 120 damage to three other people separately rather than just 20 damage to the one other person you're playing against all of that leads to a format in which the games are much more are much slower and much more value oriented and on top of that that inconsistency means that they play out very differently every time right there is a small caveat to this high-end commander includes a lot of tutors right um i think that's bad i think tutors are bad if i was in charge of explain for the audience what tutors are if they don't know yeah so a tutor effect is named after the card uh demonic tutor which i think is the first one of these it is one in a black a two mana sorcery that allows you to search your deck for a card put it into your hand there's various other similar effects diabolic tutor does it for two and two black for four total mana vampiric tutor tutor does it for one black you also pay two life and it goes on top of your library instead uh there's a couple of other options when it comes to when it comes to tutor effects but essentially anytime you have a tutor in an edh deck you have a second copy of whatever card you need at any given time and that's incredibly powerful and i would argue very bad and ruins the experience and i would ban all general purpose tutors uh obviously rampant growth is a tutor for basic land i think that's fine um but uh but yeah and so that is the effect that i think you know like makes commander great right it is it slows the game down a lot which mitigates some of magic's kind of like other issues that i would also argue are pretty not great in like the year of our lord 2020 um and it makes the games play out very differently between you know, like between matches, I can play three matches of commander in a row and essentially form three different win conditions, right? Or I can, you know, enable my one win condition of my commander in a couple of different unique and exciting ways, right? Maybe this time I can equip him with a lightning greave so he has shroud, but I can't find my loxodon. You know, I have a big seven, seven commander and I want to put him in play and I want to hit you in the face with him, right? If I can find my loxodon warhammer, well, all of a sudden he gets trample and lifelink and I can go really long. But if I only have lightning greaves, he's very robust and he's protected from target removal but i have to be really afraid of any board wipes because they're immediately going to destroy my dude right and those kinds of things making the game play out differently especially as the turns go you know like much longer is like 
I just I just find much more fun. That's like the bedrock of my it's like the bedrock of my argument. I would also agree with you that kitchen table magic is also effectively the best version of magic. It's in a certain sense kind of how like I had the same experience with StarCraft. Um I used to play a lot of StarCraft at uh, you know, a kitchen table-esque label, right, where I would go to LAN parties with friends and we would all be playing StarCraft against one another. I was never really good on the ladder. Um, and the more, you know, the, the more I understood the, I guess I would call the global competition of StarCraft and StarCraft Two, really, um, like the worse I got, at, like, the less I wanted to play the game, right? StarCraft Two is fun at a bad level and not super fun at a high level, essentially. And I think the same thing is effectively true for Magic, which is why Commander, which kind of, like, forces that level down in a lot of ways, is so much fun. Yeah, so, um, I, I, I'm, I, I think I'm just gonna, like, so, I understand what you're saying, and I understand that for casual play, that makes a lot of sense, but I do want to offer a defense of traditional magic in that if you were playing and you want to win to get screwed over by RNG is one of the most infuriating feelings possible. When you're playing with some friends, that's not, you know, the biggest deal in the world, right? Like, oh, uh, you know, Steve won this round, who cares? Um, but if you're playing and you want and you're playing to win because, you know, that's, that's the significant ask for a lot of people, I think that that's just like not a good like it, it's it's too random to to work there and i think something that magic the gathering arena has done uh for the competitive scene in a way is um one you can only play standard and i think i think these problems are exacerbated a lot in say modern um uh and uh and the pioneer might be like they made pioneer to make that better but i've heard that it's also not so great um but I think the other part of this is uh, is that Magic Gathering Arena has also significantly brought down the cost of playing meta decks um, because it doesn't have it doesn't have trading right it doesn't have uh, cards that you have to to sell and it has the wild card uh, system which makes it fairly reliable to get one meta deck with I don't want to say a minimal investment still probably like fifty bucks but like fifty bucks for a top tier deck is a lot better than like. 500 bucks for a top tier deck which is what it can get to if the if like you know like oko was running like over 100 bucks i think before he got banned um uh and uh and i think in that situation i i i, I like i understand what you're what you're saying but i i do think that like um the randomness there is is a turn would be a turn off for a lot of people because it sucks to get to, to get a bad draw when you're playing one of these hyper consistent decks and when like you know, a lot of stuff is on the line. When laddering comes on the line, I, I think. So that- I, so I do see what you're saying, but I do think there is a little bit of a difference in commander in the sense that um, when you're playing in that hyper competitive environment, when it comes to uh, right, like getting a like getting a bad draw, that is always like relative to the victory conditions, right? The victory conditions themselves being you need to deal 20 damage before your opponent deals 20 damage to you. That uh, that effect of, I need to deal 120 damage in total to three other people, right, before I take 40 damage myself, also makes it, uh, I, would, I would say, more tolerable for those random aspects. Uh, like, okay. Mm, well, well so, first so, of all, so, that's not exactly right, right? Like, you've got other three other people who are also dealing damage. 
So it's not quite 120 damage. Also, isn't it, don't you win if you or don't you kill someone if you deal like what is it 20 damage with your commander? Yeah. So if you deal 21 damage with your commander, you also win. You also, to be clear, knock someone out. Right. right. If I deal 21 commander damage to you, you die. Uh, but the other two people on the table are still there. It's not like I win of the three. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I still take your point that it that it that it drags the experience out more. Like it's definitely a, a longer format game. Yeah, um, and and it places different sorts of incentives on different sorts of cards, right? Like so, for instance, I have the scare. So my commander deck right now is Yuriko the Tiger's Shadow. She is a uh, the ninjutsu commander for blue and black. Um, ninjutsu is always my favorite mechanic in uh, like probably the most fun magic deck. Uh, I have ever really played in a kitchen table sense was a mono blue ninjas deck. And so it's really nice that there is now a ninja commander that can hit both blue and black. She is a very aggressive, basically a tempo commander, right? Um, But I still have other cards in my deck that are not synergistic with Yuriko just because like you in a game of commander, you need those sorts of alternate win cons. If you run into three or four board wipes in a row, right? Like there's only a certain amount of refill that you can do before Yuriko all of a sudden costs nine mana because every time a commander goes back to the command zone, you know, it's like it's it's very hard to cast them out again. They get rid of all your unblockable creatures, sort of whatever else. So I have cards like the Scarab God in my deck so that it's like, okay, well, you know what? Here is my, like, super, super plan Z win condition. I can just drop this guy and he is enough of a, of a threat on his own that I can kind of ride a game off of off of someone like him, right? And there's a couple of other small cards like that in my deck that do similar sorts of effects. Um, And that's, like, an important aspect of your commander deck. And I might not be... In fact, I have played mm, maybe six or seven, I don't know how many total games, with that Eureka deck. And I have never once in my life drawn the Scarab God. But I have one with some of these alternate win condition cards. Hostage Taker is another one. Hostage Taker exiles a creature, and then I can play that creature out from under Hostage Taker, essentially. Uh, Thief of Sanity exiles cards from the top of my opponent's library, and then I can play those cards as if they were in my hand, spending mana as if it was any color, that kind of thing. Um, And so that stuff is... That stuff is in the deck to fill out for these, like, okay, I ran into a, a spot where my plan A isn't working. Here's plan B, plan C sort of sort of thing. And that kind of stuff happens in Commander, but it could really never happen in Standard, it feels like. Like, maybe you have a... Maybe I'm playing a control deck and I win 90% of my games by slamming a 6-6 with hexproof and flying and trample or whatever. I'm whatever the biggest, you know, baddest bomb is. But sometimes I'll get enough chip damage in from my, you know, from my uh utility creatures that that closes out a game sort of thing. Um that happens obviously, but in commander a lot of the time you need to find a new almost a new win condition every game. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that, that that makes that makes sense to me. Um, I I do, but like at, at the same token, right? Like that's that's what's going to be infuriating to a lot of people, right? The the fact that you can't like there is, I don't know. I, I want to say for like like it feels to me like Commander like cuts off several avenues of play, right? Like it feels like aggro is very hard to do in Commander, like pure aggro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it also feels like if you're if you're uh, if you're a Johnny. 
right? Is it Johnny? Yeah, if you're a Johnny and you want to set up an elaborate combo, that's also going to be very, very hard to pull off. Just that's because. A, oh, that is absolutely not true. That happens all the time in Commander, and it sucks, and I hate it, and I want to get rid of it. That's this is the tutor's problem. Oh, you hate that? Okay, like so Johnny's can have to, fun. To, to explain, to explain this. Uh, so I, I mean, I consider myself a Johnny. Um, so, you know. Uh, we should probably I, explain I, what Johnny is for. for yeah, people. yeah. So, so what are the different ones? So it's, the big it's ones are Timmy, Johnny, Johnny, and Spike. Spike. So, yeah, yeah. Tim, Timmy likes to play big creatures and hit you with them, which Commander seems to be well balanced. Johnny likes to pull off elaborate combos. Uh, and Spike basically likes to win, um, and Spike's kind of what drives the, the the more competitive aspects of the game. Um, and then there's like the other axis, which is Melvin and Forthos. Uh, Melvin likes mechanical interest, uh, mechanical intricacies, and uh, Vorthos likes lore stuff. And then uh, sometimes people throw in Dave. Dave is the guy who just likes to make other people miserable, um, and is generally a negative psychograph. Um, but anyway, continue. Uh, okay, so um, so there, the, I think part of this is a misunderstanding of what the Johnny archetype necessarily is uh people like to characterize johnny as an archetype of someone who wants to craft an infinite combo and that's fair that's a certain sort of like subtype of johnny's right uh but that is absolutely i despise infinite combos i think infinite combos are not not fun or interesting um and any game that kind of devolves into i craft my infinite combo and win uh really sucks but um I think, but like Yuriko, right, who is very tricksy, you know, Eureka, the, the gameplay behind ninjas is that if I attack you with a creature and you don't block it, I can pay a cost to toss a ninja in, tapped and attacking, and return that creature to my hand, right? And a play that I had against a friend of mine with my Yuriko deck, which was incredibly satisfying, went something like this. I hit him in the face with a ninja that allows me to see his hand and cast a card out of it right so the card i cast out of it is a god you know is a is a god card with devotion or whatever and turns into a five five creature is like a new sort of sort of card it's clearly the most powerful card in his hand it's flying it's indestructible it's incredibly powerful i cast that card so then in the on the next turn i attack with both the ogre that casts card out of his hand and the god card he blocks he doesn't block the ogre because he can't and he doesn't block the god card because why would he right it's not like i'm gonna ninjutsu the card back to his hand well then i ninjutsu the card back to his his hand and then my ogre trigger happens and i just play the card fresh from his hand again because why you're like why not essentially and like those interactions even just explaining that interaction makes me feel good right because like that's a johnny interaction does that make sense it, it, a it, melvin interaction now that I it does it. It, it, i mean the, 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 it's kind of both right like the melvin vorthos is a different axe uh, different axis um just to your initial point about infinite combos right johnny's aren't just infinite combos but um, I'm going to say that, like, if it takes sufficient effort to pull off an infinite combo, I think it's a fine win con, right? Like, it's, like, the same thing as, like, any other weird alternate win con. Yeah. Um, but to your to, to your point, right, like, those interactions can happen, but it's harder to plan around them, right? Like, it's very easy to kind of, like, fill your deck with, like, big creatures and just have a big creature to swing at people. Um, if you are planning, like, that combo is one that kind of arose out of novelty right like you couldn't you, you explicitly couldn't play it on that combo because it relied on something out of your opponent's hand Correct. um and it's it's hard to 
it, it's hard to kind of like get any like if you like kind of certain interactions, right? Like let's say uh, like there is uh, I was running a food deck when I was playing Eldraine, and like uh, there were a couple of interactions that let me like basically. Uh, uh, throw a bunch of creatures out onto the field, right? Like, um, by 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 using food mechanics, and you can plan around those, but you can't exactly, um, not uh, you, you can't uh, uh, you, you can't plan around those in commander because you you can't guarantee that they're going to come out. And I think that like it kind of makes you want to like focus on uh, kind of individual power cards or like theming cards right if there's enough cards with the same effect you can kind of get some consistency out of right like there's like 72 different counter spells so you can put a bunch of them in there if you want to make sure you have a couple um but uh but i i do think it kind of hampers the ability of anybody to to to, to play a johnny deck in that way I, I know that like um lacking the like when i was playing brawls um the inability to kind of like consistently set anything up in a way um, it was, was aggravating. Um, uh, and, uh, again, like if I was, if I was just playing around the table, I wouldn't care so much, but when I'm trying to play to, to win that, 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 that kind of hurts and sucks and, you know, it, it kind of shapes what kind of decks are viable in what is essentially the command meta, even around the kitchen table, right? Like if you want to build elaborate combos and you build a deck that could ha have an output of an elaborate combo, but you can't find the pieces because it's a hundred card singleton deck, then you're not having a good time at the table and you just kind of have to accept the fact that you're not going to be able to play that style at the table. Yeah, I mean, those those decks do uh, exist and they exist because of tutors, right? Like, so right. Uh, the deck that I was going to reference before, there is a, there's a popular commander deck based off of Athreos, God of Passage. Athreos is a, an indestructible enchantment creature. All the gods are like enchantment creatures in Theros or whatever, but his ability says whenever another creature you own dies return it to your hand unless target opponent pays three life right so you essentially can bounce stuff to your hand uh, or be like dinging people for a lot of damage but the thing is is that um it combos really well with a card called shadowborn apostle a deck can have any number of cards named shadowborn apostle and they all have an ability that's tap sacrifice six creatures named shadowborn apostle you search your library for a demon card and put it into the battlefield and then so essentially the combo is you just fill your deck with a bunch of shadowborn apostle eventually you'll play six of them when they die you're pinging them back to your hand unless opponents are taking taking damage you put demons out on the field uh the two popular demons being rune scar demon when it enters the battlefield search your library for a card put it into your hand which is a tutor effect uh and razakit the foul-blooded that says pay two life sacrifice another creature search your library for a card and put that into your hand and then you use a card called edgewalker which reduces the cleric spells that you cast by one black mana so you can just freely cast shadowborn apostles because it's a cleric that is a very johnny combo but it is reliant on a couple of things that it, but and it's very consistent, which is why people like it, obviously. But it relies on you know using these repeatable tutor effects and the fact that Shadowborn Apostle can just be flooded in a deck that otherwise like should be singleton, and like going and searching out that one Edgewalker in order to make your whole combo like completely foolproof, essentially. 
um, to just like keep pinging things back to your hand and sacrificing and putting out demons and then like swinging with your big ass demons and stuff like that. I think that stuff is not great for the format. Um, right. It also happens with other, you know, like um, Urza High Artificer is like a $35 card from Modern Horizons because of Commander. Basically, he's an incredibly powerful commander that just like enables a ton of uh, infinite combos. Um, but, like, if you're playing Commander to the point where somebody is assembling a combo at turn 5 or turn 6 via effects like, you know, dumping your hand of Shadowborn Apostles, using Urza, uh, a high high artificer to tap for to tap your artifacts for mana and sort of the Meep and Thopter foundry and stuff like that. That stuff just is everything that I think is bad about, you know, like, modern or, like, vintage or whatever, where it's just, like, these combo... It is just two people playing solitaire, and the person who wins their solitaire first wins. Do you know what I mean? That, I think, is really bad magic. That is, like, magic at its effectively worse, which is why I hate tutor effects, because that turn it turns Commander into that. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I get that. Um, I don't know. In a certain I, sense, I also have two broad uh, criticisms of magic. The first one being, uh, I think lands are bad uh, because of Mana Screw and Mana Flood. And Commander alleviates that just because the games go long, so you have more time to sort of build up a mana base. Also, the smooth mana out the curves. Yeah, also, like, so in Commander, um, the little, like, Dimir Signet or the new one is arcane signet which adds one mana of your commander's color identity and it's a, it's a two mana artifact that's like ramp right like all and there's a ton of these sorts of things they're really valuable in commander they're all over you know in uh uh in commander and uh, and so you have like kind of more time to like fill out your colors and stuff like that to get the you know like to get the powerful commander that you want to put into the into the battlefield um uh, but like in a, in standard environments, when you're keeping like a two land hand because you don't want to like mulligan down to five or whatever else, right? Like that stuff, you know, like that stuff obviously sucks uh, when it when it happens. Yeah, I mean it's it's better now, right? Like the the London mulligan helps with that. Um, yeah, I have heard that. Um, and also, like, I mean, maybe this is just because draw is so important, but, like, you normally have a little bit of draw in your deck somewhere to, like, get, like, to, to kind of get past these points. Um, right? Like, even, even like, my mono green deck had, like, ways of pulling, uh, ways of doing draw or ways of, like, pulling lands out so that you're, like, sitting in the mana base. But, yeah, um, I, I take that. I, I take your point, but I also think that, like, that land thing is what keeps, like, standard from being a little bit too consistent, right? Like, if it was too consistent, then you just have, like, bar none best decks, um, uh, which, you know, kind of happens. And, like like I said, mod- modern is, is, is its own story and pioneer is its own story. But I think standards – standard can be – can, can st- it stays pretty fun. Um, maybe this is another effective MTG arena where, like, because you're re- – you rank to kind of the, the – uh, the strength of your deck, even like in the beginning of seasons, I wasn't having the uh, or beginning of months where your rank resets, I wasn't having problems with uh, uh, running into essentially hyper hyper meta decks on the ladder. I was kind of playing decks around my skill level, and that was always a little bit fun. So, so maybe it's just that arena's a good tool for that, right? Because like 
if you want to play a competitive deck, then playing at the kitchen table is kind of a dick move, right? Like, you're like, you know, your friends are like, oh, let's let's play some magic over the weekend. You show up with your kind of, you know, you know, even if it's not expensive, but you're like four, you know, f- fifteen copies of four cards or you know whatever. You know, you're very consistent deck, and you're wiping the floor with everyone. That's not fun. Um, I think yeah, it's, it's actually all- very common to talk about power levels of different commander decks. Um, because somebody's sitting down with a, with, you know, if if you sit down at a commander table for people and someone's playing Urza, all of a sudden you should be like, well, that player is just gonna like win on turn five, right? You know what I mean? Um, whereas if someone is playing, you know, uh, even even other kind of like comboy sorts of uh, uh, cards, but like cards that will take longer, right? Like Niv Mizzet um, is a good example of of this, where like you're trying to figure out a way to deal ping damage so that Niv-Mizzet is constantly, like, drawing through your deck and you're pinging and pinging and pinging kind of thing, right? Like, that stuff. In a certain sense, I think that opens up, like, the Johnnies of the world um, because there's a lot of potential in certain cards that like that, that look like that, right? Um, That you can kind of, like, crack open at lower power commander games. Um, But, yeah, if you were playing, like, high-level Athreos, high-level, you know... uh, uh, Urza, right? Like those games probably look a lot like high-end standard or modern games um, in terms of how quickly people sort of like run away with things. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what it sounds like what, what I think Commander has always been, and I think what you're highlighting is that Commander provides like a way to systematically enforce like kitchen table magic levels of complexity, right? Yeah. It sounds it sounds like you know the, the way to do this like. Is just ban the couple of like overpowered cards at your kitchen table, and then you then you can kind of give people the freedom to build what they want, right? Like, um, it's hard, you know, it's hard to tell somebody with the shoebox uh, full of magic cards that happens to have like a decent deck in there to like you know make your deck worse because everybody else is playing slightly worse worse shoebox of cards, right? Like that's also what like cube drafting is about, right? Like setting up a set of cards that you can play with. That will uh, that, that that will put everybody about the same power level. This is kind of like the eternal problem of uh, of Magic and trading card games as a system. I think that like makes it difficult, like makes it difficult for to, to merge the casual and the, and the professional audiences. And by professional, I mean just kind of like the higher level players. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know if there's uh, like. I don't know if there's a, a better way to do it, but you, you keep seeing that they keep, like, there's, like, Canadian Highborn, I think, which is, like, a slightly different format. Yeah, because the Canadian doesn't have, they, they don't have commanders, right? You just, right, It is yeah. Highlander, but you don't have, like, a commander, a command zone, color right, any any of that stuff, so. Um, and I also think they have a more stringent ban list. Uh, yeah. It's still a community format, so it's not like it's, it's, it's official yeah. or anything. Um. Yeah, like I'm excited. I'm definitely excited by the idea that like Wizards is going to be uh, sort of helping Commander out um, with like new stuff this year. Apparently, like 2020 is going to be a big year for Commander. The big thing being that they're making a Commander specific set, which isn't going to be standard legal. It's going to be like you know Modern Horizons or whatever, but just kind of have like cool, interesting cards to like thread into your uh, to like thread into your Commander decks. Um, and I, and I hope that that stuff is, like, a lot of fun. Because I think one of the things that makes Commander really, you know, like, there's so much to just sort of, like, looking at a legendary creature and, like, looking at its effects and being like, huh, at the beginning of your end step, proliferate. 
that's a really neat ability. How can I build a deck around that kind of thing, right? Um, and there's a lot of different sorts of, like, I feel like a lot of commander decks could be found in places like that. And there's going to be staples in them, obviously, right? Like, you know, there's always going to be, like, staples in the format. But because you're always, like, limited to one, it's like, even if, you know, I say every blue deck should have Cyclonic Rift in it, which is apparently, like, the big blue staple. Every blue deck has this card. Um you know, you only have the one, and you're wa- going to want to fill out a bunch of, like, synergy stuff to to sort of, like, follow up on that. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I also think Commander has uh, a better access to hate, in a way, um, specifically because the ability of a Commander to... Or the, the ability of Commander going long means that your opponents can have more... Uh, answers for your stuff, right? Like Bajuka Bog or, you know, Ashiok or something against the the high caliber graveyard decks that are like doing delve shenanigans or whatever. It's like, oh, well, you know, here I have some answers in my deck for that, right? I have, I have a couple of like small tech cards for that sort of thing, right? Um, that stuff I also think is, is pretty like powerful because in a hundred card deck, you have a lot of slots to be sort of like, well... Here's a, you know, here's a little tech card that I'll include. I'll put in a capsize because having that sort of, like, repeatable capsize is uh, two blue and a colorless return target permanent to its owner's hand, but also has a buyback for three. So for six mana, you have infinite bounces. Um, and that, you know, I, I won a commander game off of my ability to use capsize to kill tokens. Um on the opponent's on the opponent's side of the field, and that stuff is like really cool and uh, and like really useful when you sort of like get those sorts of answers. Does that make sense? It does. Um, it, abs- it it absolutely does. Um, uh, so something that's interesting that I found out a couple of weeks ago, again from the Mark Rosewater podcast, is that um, Silver Border was legal in Commander, like for the like the first month of Commander. Um, which is, I think, I think that I think would be like hilarious to to play. Um, Silver Border being the uh, the unsets, um, uh, but you know, I, I don't know. I I just always find that like super amusing to to to, to try and bring in those sets. So funny um, enough, I've been watching. Uh, so there's a podcast called The Command Zone, which is a Commander podcast, um, and they have a YouTube series called Game Nights where they do they just go through a Commander game, right? They explain all the triggers, all the stuff. Um, it's actually, to be fun, to be honest, it's shot like a reality show. They constantly have these testimonials where they will, like, cut to somebody and be like, I felt pretty good when I put my, you know, second 7-7 seven, seven trampler on, on the field, but I wasn't really sure, you know, what was going to happen next. And then they cut back to the game or whatever, but you know they shot that testimonial afterwards. So, like, they had to know what was going to happen next. And so there's, like, this, like you know little bullshit stuff like that but uh but one of the games that they did was with a commander cube right which is like draft but with 400 like unique cards and the guy included a couple of silver border cards in his cube um including a card called clay pigeon which you have to throw it in the air and catch it with one hand and if you do you destroy target permanent or whatever and it was his only answer to progenitus um, because it didn't target, it, it chooses the permanent or whatever, and he got it, and it was like, that's like a moment that only, you know, that only a really crazy game of Commander, obviously Commander Cube, uh, could produce. Yeah, no, those, those things, that's, that's super fun. Uh, that's, that sounds, that sounds great. 
uh, but kind of on along that line, it kind of also enables like it, it enables ways to play that like uh, you you can't get to normally right either because like the cards are banned in standard or would be too powerful in standard, so they're banned there, but they're not banned in commander because you can only have one off of it or st- stuff like that, right? Um, or it's like like you were saying weird situations. Um, I think it's good for not like you know as we kind of the theme of this is good for novelty, but not good for consistency. Uh, uh, so do you have any other commander decks that you've, that you've either played against or played with that, that, that you want to highlight that, that so my original some... commander deck I've, so black blue, do you have like colors? Black blue are like my colors. Do you uh, have that same feeling? Mostly blue. I also like, uh, red and green a lot, but yeah. Yeah. Like, do you, would you have a commander? Like if I was like mango, let's build a commander deck. Come play commander with me. Like where, what would be your first thought? Um, well, there's, there's, there was like a, in like, in college I was looking at like there was a Ravinica blue-white commander that I was like, yeah, but mostly because it was like the blue-white commander that I could afford reasonably, um, because it was like a dollar because it wasn't very good. Um, but maybe Niv-Mizzet, now that, since you mentioned it, um, maybe like Questing Beast. When I, when I was playing Brawl, I was playing Questing Beast, uh, or like Troll King out of Eldrain just because, you know, uh, Questing Beast is real good value. <laughs> Four mana to slam somebody in the face and kill their Planeswalkers is, is fucking great. Uh, uh, but yeah, it, it, I'd probably, like, like just off the top of my head, probably that maybe, maybe Thief of Sanity. Because I, I built a deck around Thief of Sanity. I built a deck around um, the, uh, the, the one card that... Um, it's an assassin. I forget what the name of it is, but you slam into somebody's face and then you exile a card that they Entrata. have. I have a and She's one of my alternate win conditions. Yeah, yeah I, lo- I love Atrada. Um, although I don't think she works too well in Commander because I think she has to go back to the deck at that yeah, point. You shuffle, you shuffle yeah. her into a library. I actually don't know how that works with because, like, with Commander triggers, like you can choose if they go to the graveyard or if they go to the command zone or if they go to your hand or if they go to the command zone or whatever. I wonder. Yeah, if I choose. don't know if you can do that for for shuffle into your deck. We should, I should look that up. Uh, because that also seems like it'd be a great way to like, like, to cheap out somebody, uh, which which maybe isn't the like. I have to. F- I feel like it'd have to be more, or it would be more popular if uh, if it was that easy to do. I have to imagine that like shuffling it back into your deck has a difference in the rules. Maybe. Well, I'll, I'll look that up later. Um, but yeah, pro- probably something along that lines. Um, like I like red and I like blue, but I'm not super keen on blue red. Um, as like a deck really? combo, um, just because like the things I want out of them are different. Like red, I like for its like aggro and damage, so I like like green red decks. Um, and blue, I like for its controlly factors, so I like um, I like blue white decks. Um, sometimes blue black. Um, uh, occasionally I do, do blue green just because I like the, the kind of like like simicky decks, like uh, you know, like plus one plus one counters and just like comboing on that. But uh, you know. I've I've found things I like in every color combination. I think, right? Like I was running I was running a sacrifice toys deck in blue black, not blue black red black. Um, I was running a, a tokens deck in red white, which is like the probably the most off uh, counter or off uh, off brand deck for me. But it was a lot of fun because um, there's I think it's called like divine something. Uh, there's an enchantment in Standard right now where every time you play a token, instead of playing that token, you play a 4-4 four, four flying token with Vigilance instead. Uh-huh. Um, 
And so, like, I just built a deck around, like, like it was basically, like, red aggro, and if it went on long enough, it'd be, like, a, like 700 angels on the field, just, like, kind of swinging at face, which is a lot of fun. It wasn't very consistent, but, you know. Um, but those are the things I like to do. But, but, but like, those, those aren't really good commander strategies. Um, like I was saying, what, 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 uh, what have you seen that, that's really piqued yeah, your interest? Yeah, so, so, my favorite commander right now is Yuriko, obviously, but, like, I also might end up making a second blue-black deck, because my very first commander deck was Rexy. Wow, okay, so actually, my very, very first commander deck was Una, Queen of the Fey, who was blue-black, and she could mill you at the top of your library, and you would, like, call out a color, and for each card of that color... Um, that you flipped, you'd create uh, a 1-1 one, one flying fairy token. Uh, Una is now incredibly expensive, which makes me sad that I... I guess I traded my Una, or, like, she was in my old deck. My old commander deck got stolen, uh, which sucks. Um, or I lost it. I'm not sure which. Um, the But then I had Rexiel the Risen Deep. Rexiel is a Kraken with Island Walk and Swamp Walk, and when he hits you in the face, I can cast an instant or sorcery card out of your graveyard, which kind of created this, like fifi deck in for mine which was very bad i very rarely won with this deck but i very commonly got second place because the whole deck it was essentially a mill deck i didn't really have a win condition other besides just like hitting you in the face with rexio like six or seven times um but uh but the whole thing was like i would mill you to fill up your graveyard with shit and then i would hit you in the face with rexio to cast your best shit out of the graveyard and then other like smaller kind of like graveyard reanimator shenanigans memory plunder cast an instant or sorcery out of the graveyard actually at instant speed which is really good cuz i used to use that for like you know i didn't have wrath effects in that deck or i think i might have had like one damnation but being able to like memory plunder somebody else's uh uh somebody else's wrath of god was like super fucking useful um I think if I were to make another Rexiel deck, I would uh, I would do that like mill version, but like go even harder on the mill because uh, there's actually been a lot of like good mill cards released in the past. Mill was not a very good strategy in 2012. Um, then uh, I've also thought about doing an Is It deck. Uh, the one Is It deck that I really want to do is you know Joyra of the Gitu. I do not. Joyra of the Gitu is a legend. See, this is part of, like, I, I'm doing all these throwbacks in my head to sort of, like, legends that I remembered being like, oh, man, like, what a cool, like, what a cool card. What a cool commander that would make. Joyra of the Gitu is from Time Spiral, which is, like, 2007? You know, it was a long time ago. Um, the cool thing about her is that she's a cheap commander, just for three, like one one blue, one red. So she's in Izzet colors. And then her activated ability is you pay two and you exile a spell from your hand with four time counters on it. And those time counters give it suspend. So it at, at the beginning of your upkeep, it loses a counter, loses a counter, loses a counter, and then it casts on the fourth upkeep. If it's a creature, it has haste. And, uh, and Joyra is basically just, you play big fat shit at super slow speed like not even sorcery speed at four turns from now speed but you include there's a there's a couple of cards that will like manipulate time counters um from that set or whatever that you could uh that like you can use so it's things like well it's turn seven here's emrakul right like that kind of shit i think would be hilarious and also a lot of fun that, that, that sounds that sounds like it um uh uh so have you have you seen have, have any of the commander specific cards stuck out to you right like the the ones that are like clearly commander only stuff rather than being like normal cards that are put in the commander deck 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's definitely, like, you can see some spots where they are just, like, really uh, feeding the 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 need of different commanders out there, right? Like, so, for instance, Lightning Greaves was, like, a really huge card, and they created what what is effectively a second Lightning Greaves. I think it's called Swiftfoot Boots. Uh, Lightning Greaves is two mana, zero mana to equip, which is nice for obvious reasons, uh, and it gives you Shroud. Swiftfoot Boots is two mana, and I think is one to equip, and it gives you Haste and um, Hexproof, which is obviously a little bit better than Shroud. Um, there's a certain type of commander deck called a Voltron deck, where typically is your commander. You will t- put your commander on the field, and then you just want to equip it with equipment. You want to put enchantments on it. You want to just, like, get as much shit on that commander, and then you just, like, hit somebody in the face. And it's like, oh, he's 14-14 double strike, so figure it out or you lose the game. <laughs> like, that kind of thing. That's a Voltron deck. Um Lightning Greaves is actually really bad in Voltron decks because giving it Shroud means you have to have another creature to dance Lightning Greaves off with. Um, you have to equip it to another creature before you can re-equip it to like give you know like that level of protection. And in that instant of well, I equip it to my like one one shitty this guy, somebody can then say okay, cool, I Doom Blade right like that sort of thing. Um, but. Uh, uh, those those sorts of Voltron decks are always a lot of fun, especially because like that's essentially how aggro plays out in um, in Commander. Is you'll see like the different sorts of Voltron decks. There's one I think it's um it's like Runok. He's a he's like a four mana seven seven that attacks a random opponent each combat if able. Um, but he is importantly in red and white and blue. I think um, so it gives you a lot of access to sort of like you know, the cool white enchantments, the cool red enchantments. Uh, red has easy access to double strike. White has easy access to, you know, like protection, stuff like that. Also equipment or whatever. Um, there's a couple of other sorts of like, quote unquote, Voltron decks um, out there. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't really know what I want to do. I, part of me wants to do an angel deck uh, with Feather the Redeemed. I, you would know oh, Feather, God, right? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, it's, Feather, Feather's like really good in standard, right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 pretty good. It's one of those things where like it can be hard to get the combo off, but once you do, it's like annoying as fucking shit. Uh, oh wait, what's the combo? Because um, Feather's the one that like uh, Feather's the one that returns cards that are cast, like like temporary effect card to your hand, right? At the end of turns. Uh, yeah, there's um, there's a couple of red white legionnaire type cards that um like work really well with being enchanted uh and so like you just kind of like make i forget what the exact thing is but you make feather kind of hard to touch and she already is because she's like uh, a flyer um and you don't have to attack with her right and then you buff something else and you just kind of swing with it and then you're you're forced to kind of deal with that wall uh and then like something like that it's usually like a one turn power spike um is like done over multiple turns uh um, it's, it's like medium speed, I want to say, right? Like you get like, I think there's like a one, one red with like double strike, um, that like you can just throw a bunch of shit on and like, it's, it's really hard to deal with once it's got, once it's like boosted up. Um, there's also a couple, there's like another one that's like gets a bonus for like having things equipped to it. Stuff, stuff like that. Like I said, it's been a little while since I played, but um, it's not a super powerful deck, but it's annoying to play against if you don't have the right answers for yeah, it. Yeah, so interestingly enough, uh, Feather is actually a very cool uh, commander 
because red white typically sucks in commander because they have the worst access to card advantage right um and so there's been a bunch of boros commanders that just like you know like never quite get there and so feathers weird version of card advantage like it's not quite it, it is but like in a in a kind of roundabout way um makes it uh like makes her like the first kind of like really powerful um boros commander that like keeps up with uh a lot of the other sorts of like commanders into the into the sort of like the mid and late game there's a lot of there's also sunforger which is a special equipment that lets you untap and unequip it or something like you tap the creature it's equipped to and pay like red white and then you can search your library for an instant and play it without paying its mana cost um it's effectively a tutor effect but i actually think that those kinds of targeted tutors are a lot of fun because you can't just search for anything you have to have like you know those certain like prerequisites of what could it possibly you know like what is the most useful thing i could get in this sort of situation so there's a lot of like those sorts of effects where it's like uh you know finding ways to generate the card advantage in the late game that you need to that you need to sort of win and then there's also you know like commanders right like so for instance uh rachel's deck which is the pre-con um the commander is the Naya colors, red, white, green. And the whole deck is about creating these rhino tokens. Because when Gearhead comes into play, he creates a 4-4 rhino with trample. And when he attacks, he populates. Populate being out of the ability to create a copy of a creature token that's already on the field. Um, I played against Rachel a bunch, obviously, with my Eureka deck. And even though I think I have beat... I, I think we're maybe like 4-3 and three or something. There's just like... Once those rhinos hit the field, it is just so hard because they just keep coming, you know, and there's a whole bunch of populate effects all, all throughout, like, you know, all throughout the deck. Um, and at a certain point, they just fucking run you over, right? Uh, she actually won her very first game of Magic where I was, like, sitting there teaching her and I was playing Yuriko because she just made nine rhinos. And it's like, God, I wish I had a fucking answer for this. <laughs> like, yeah, no, that <laughs> board clear is... Valuable at all and hard to come by a lot of the time, especially in, like, uh, a Commander deck. Yeah, I mean, in Commander, it's nice in a certain sense. Uh, This is something that I like about it, um, because you have to play around uh, not just one player's board clear, but, like, everybody's. You know, it's very easy in a 1v1 match for me to see that you're, you know, you're tapped out and swing in for the win sort of thing. Um, But, like, when there's other people on the field and it's like, okay, well two of my opponents are tapped out, but my third opponent has a bunch of untapped mana and he could do something crazy at instant speed to really, like, fuck me up, right? You have to play a little bit more cautiously, um, which I think is uh, part of what makes multiplayer magic, like, more fun in a lot of ways uh, than than 1v1 magic for me. Um, I, I get that. Um, so while, while we were chatting, I looked at the rule, and apparently at Trada you could return to the command zone um, it's just I guess you'd be stacking that uh, you'd be stacking that commander tax. Yeah. And uh, not only that, but like if you, you you need to like you know maybe you don't need to exile um, uh, nine creatures exactly, but you need to exile like uh, you, you need to exile like at least three. And at that point, like it's you know you're you're having trouble. Plus, I don't think like I think if you target their commander. Then it would just go back to the command zone. It wouldn't count for yeah, for the win count. They wouldn't get a hit counter with a Trotta. Yeah, yeah. So it it would be weird to pull off, but that sounds like the type of thing that I would I would have a lot of fun doing. Just kind of like being being silly about it. Um, 
but yeah, that that it that's I'd probably build around something like a Trata if I was going to do that. Yeah, I think uh, which, something useful or something that's interesting about Atrada is uh, you could maybe like do clones or something with that. Yeah, you're like constantly cloning your own Atrada over and over again, um, and like swinging into. I guess the legend rule would suck. Yeah, there, there's uh, there's a, there's Spark Double uh, ignores the legend rule, right? And uh, and then there's another card that lets you like copy a creature in the graveyard, which requires putting Atrada in the graveyard, which is always risky. So basically, I know all these tricks because I built an Atrada deck in standard that uses like uh revivals from the graveyard and i forget what this card's name but he's he's like a three mana drop survey one and then you can pay his ability is pay the cost of a creature in your graveyard it becomes a copy of that creature that's still named oh lazav yeah lazav yeah 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 um and then there's uh uh and then there's like spark double which does the cloning without without counting Oh, so uh-huh. I'm actually looking this up. So the, part of what has made this a very easy thing uh, for me to just, like, fall down the rabbit hole is that there is a website called EDHREC, EDHREC.com, where you can go and you can, like, look up, you know, like, Atrada, right? And it'll show you by the percentage of decks that people have, um, uh, like, made on the site what people think are, like, the good Atrada cards. There are actually some really good ones. Uh, like Helm of the Host, at the beginning of your upkeep, you create a token that's a copy of an equipped creature except the copy isn't legendary and it gains haste so you can create that like uh you know you can kind of you can create that effect and you also have strionic resonator which is an artifact that has tuna tap cap copy target triggered ability you control you may choose new targets for the copy right so there's like this is the stuff that makes commander like nuts right right like right. who the fuck would ever look at a card like strionic resonator <laughs> in standard and be like hmm oh wow you know like i mean i don't know maybe strionic resonator is really good but like in commander an effect like that is like really good um yeah especially because it's like a thousand effects in all the on every card now right like yeah no no one's putting playing cards in the deck in their decks uh, yeah, I think the tough thing with uh, I think the tough thing with her, uh, and this is also the tough thing about Eureka, is that there's basically no defense option available. Like you have counter spells, you have like removal, right, like that kind of stuff. But like if there's somebody on the board with a ten ten Eldrazi, you're fucked, Chief. Like there's yeah. you're not gonna be able to you know get a lot of blocking done uh, yeah, I, in blue black. I will tell you that my Atrata deck. One about as many times from Atrada as it did from. I also ran a bunch of disinformation campaign and survey effects, and like it won just as many from just like denying my opponent the ability to do anything until they gave up as it did from actually killing something. Like I have like three or four times, like one with Atrada, but not with her effect by just like hitting them in the face because I kept them from ever playing anything. Right, like four, you know, it's like I think she's a four five, right? Like four damage or four damage over five turns is still a kill, right? So, um, you know, it's 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 a uh, it's an interesting uh, interesting dynamic there. Like you need you need a lot of like flood of tears um, was always very useful, but that's because like blue can't really outright destroy, can bounce, um, right, yeah. which can be useful, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and bounce is like good and bad in commander because like obviously so bounce bounce is a tempo play it's not a value play um but uh you can find yourself in sort of shitty positions where you get into these like uh almost like stalemates where like they can just keep 
playing the same thing over and over again and you're expending your resources to okay well i'm gonna bounce it i'm gonna bounce it i'm gonna bounce it right but like you never actually have a real thing that gets rid of like the giant green creature that is gonna bash your face in um, right and right. that's you know a lot of it that that happens when when you're playing against some of those green decks they just they land a uh, big hex proof whatever and hit you in the face and you just like guess i'll lose <laughs> yeah 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 <sighs> all right well we've we've hit the end of our uh, of our hour on commander so uh did you have anything else you want to talk about with commander before we moved on to our weeks nope i think that about covered it all right uh, how was your week buddy well uh i spent a lot of it obsessing over commander uh, and a lot of it obsessing over Total War Warhammer. The funny thing is that I spent a lot of time, um, I spent a lot of time playing Total War Warhammer Two, which you know obviously should be expected. Total War Warhammer Two is like an incredibly fun game, um, but uh, the the combination of the two of them i feel like shorted out my brain a little bit at times there were just like some moments in my life where i was just like wait what's going on like i can't i can't just like function and i think that that is just because like at a certain point watching this reality tv show on youtube of people playing commander games where you're trying to follow the action at the same time that you're trying to do something else is just like not the easiest which is weird because like you know i've been watching prestige i've been watching the sopranos which i told you about um and the sopranos i can keep up with just fine you know like without any trouble but like yeah some of these commander games get like really complex with the you know like with stacks and triggers and like all these other sorts of things plus i'm also like learning a lot of new cards for obvious reasons um you know seven years of magic the gathering sets has included a lot of stuff that i've just never seen um but uh, but yeah, so those those are the big things. Did we talk about Magic the Gathering lore last week? Um, last week was the Derpy, so I don't think so. Okay, yeah. So uh, okay, everyone who really hates WoW lore, please, I beg of you, go learn magic lore over the last couple of years could is because i mean to be honest it's actually it's not all bad there's there's like some kind of like cool good stuff in there but like there is so much stuff that is just like what that's so dumb yeah people have like i think people like the general themes but like i know people have been mad that the books are like kind of terrible uh but uh but yeah, yeah like, so one of the interesting things is like the War of the Spark. Like the War of the Spark played out over the course of a couple of years, right? Um, yeah. First, it was whatever the Egypt one was, where you find out that Nicol Bolas like took over this plane. I think um, technically it started before that with with what Catapesh, or am I getting the order wrong? The one, the I one where yet. where the where the the fire uh, planeswalker Chandra, maybe. Yeah, the yeah, one, yeah. I with think I think tokens, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think it started there. Technically, but uh, but yeah, continue, continue. Yeah, Sorry. and so like Nicol Bolas takes over this plane, and then they go to Ixalan, which is like the Aztec dinosaur pirates plane, and, and vampire conquistadors, and vampire conquistador, and he takes the immortal sun, which stops players planeswalkers from planeswalking, and then he goes because he gets another artifact somewhere else that's like special, 
And, like, Liliana, like, betrays them because she's trying to get out of her, like, demon contract. But the demon contract was, like, insured by Nicobola. So, like, when she kills all four demons that she owed her soul to, she then enslaved herself to Nicobolus, which sucked. Um, and, uh, and then the War of the Spark is the Avengers moment when just, like, all of the Planeswalkers show up on Ravnica where Nicobolus is unleashing the God Eternals. Which are oh Theros he, he also picks up something on Theros that I don't remember, um, but like I was I was watching these YouTube videos of somebody like explaining the lore and you could tell like that this guy he was like giving it a good faith effort at times to just like represent the lore as good like at the like the story right like as best as possible but there were just like some moments that like broke him inside like a big development apparently during the war of the spark is all of the guild leaders come together and they go to like jace and they're like jace we know how to defeat nickel bolus we need to resurrect niv mizzet and jace is like okay let's do it and the guy like looks at the camera and he's like did you know that niv mizzet was dead I sure didn't, because it happened off-screen. This is the first moment we have learned that Niv-Mizzet died. And then there, the whole story, and then like the story revolves around resurrecting Niv-Mizzet immediately. And then Niv-Mizzet comes back to life, and Nicol Bullis instantly kills him. And it's just like, what the fuck? Uh, I would highly recommend watching those videos. They're great. The Throne of Eldraine one is also particularly great because Throne of Eldraine, I mean, like, War, War of the Spark at least had a pretty okay, like, through line with, like, a lot of dumb stuff sort of sprinkled in there. Thrones of Eldraine seemed intensely stupid from the get-go. The whole idea with Thrones of Eldraine is that Oko um, shows up, he turns King Kenrith into an elk, and then he takes that elk to the elves in the wilds or whatever and it's like hey you guys are about to start your like hunting ritual you should hunt this here elk very convenient which like on the face of it that's intensely stupid like that's your what what a weird evil plan oko i doesn't make it it i it just like is completely unmotivated and very convoluted for no reason and treated like a weird plot twist but when you like kind of unravel it you're just like hmm that what that doesn't what so yeah, Magic the Gathering lore is bad. Is really, it's really my point. Uh, like Planeswalkers, the world building, that stuff is all fine. But like the actual beats of the story seem pretty yeah. not great. Yeah, the, the theming's fun, right? Like, and if like you know, most people don't actually know the real plot points, right? They just get like whatever flavor text is on the card, and like yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, like oh, this is Knights of the Round Table meets Fairy Tales, and uh, each each. Uh, like, it's pretty clear that, like, each color has, like, knights that represent it that are, go with that knights the round table feel. Um, and that works really well. Like, I think the feel works really well but, and the aesthetic works really well. But I don't think – I think you're right. I think the actual story beats are kind of, like, take it or leave it. And I think enough people are, like, take it or leave it that they don't really care that much. Yeah. So I also think that the stuff that, like, appeals to people is, like, the, you know – it's not like, ooh, oh, you know, what is Lazav Demir Mastermind doing? It is like, the Demir are this organization that do this stuff, right? And that's neat and interesting. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, and so something that I did find out from the Commute Podcast is that the books are written after the the cards are already, um, the cards are already, uh, like, in production. Because, like, apparently in one of the sets, there was this really, like, in the lore, in the book, there's this 
pair of twins, one of which was like blue and like made science zombies, and one of which was black and made like magic zombies, right? Because that's uh-huh. kind of like the dichotomy. But there's no card for either of them because they were ne- they were just part of the novel. Um, and like maybe they eventually get a card made. Like apparently that was what Massacre Girl was was a book book character that eventually got made into a card. But like that just seems like. Like, I get why it's made that way because it's primarily, like, just, like, a card set first. But it seems kind of, like, a missed opportunity there to get, like, really good stuff in. Uh, But, yeah. uh, Magic the Gathering, man. Uh, uh, As for me, I played a bunch of Destiny because that's what I always do now. Um, Basically grinding out a bunch of... uh, bunch of bright dust so I can get, like, these seasonal outfits. To your bungee overlords. Yeah. I mean, I I haven't paid any... I haven't paid for microtransactions yet, so, you know, I'm not fully into it. Um, But um, in more interesting news, I watched some stuff. Um, The first thing I want to mention that I watched is Netflix has a reality show, uh, which you reminded me of when you you talked about the reality show stuff, called The Circle, where you – where it's like a bunch of people and they're locked in like apartments and they're trying to make themselves the most popular I think amongst themselves using social media controls. And let me tell you, this is the worst fucking thing I've ever seen. Like <laughs> that sounds pretty terrible. But go on. Yeah, like I I wasn't in control of the room. I was hanging out with friends of the cast, Monica and X, and like we just kind of turned it on and sat there for a while. We watched 40 minutes of it. Like I was like it just kept going. I was like, when does this thing end? And we were 40 minutes in. We just turned it off. But it's like the most awkward thing in the world. The most – like, you know, reality shows seem kind of fake. This is like no question about it. That it was like the most fake thing. You've got like your standard kind of array of, of people. There's like the nerd, the Guido, the uh, – like the – like I don't know, the girl. Um, there's one dude who's pretending to be a girl for like more clout – online and it's just like the most hackneyed interactions and they're like oh the the computer they're using is voice activated but it's like so clear that it's not actually voice activated it's like there's some pa sitting behind listening and like inputting their stuff for them right because like like at one point the like one of the girls says like select the photo that's like of the outfit i'm wearing right now and there's no camera anywhere or you know there's no computer camera anywhere it's clearly somebody behind the camera just like 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 uh manipulating the computer for them that like it's it's just so fake and so terrible that like I like I can't even recommend it for a hate watch. Like oh if God. you really like cringe, like if you really like cringe, maybe give it a watch. But I just can't like I I, I couldn't I couldn't deal with it. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. I I the funny thing is is that like I kind of like some of the the. So, for instance, okay, so for, like, in these testimonials in, like, the Magic series or whatever, right, like, obviously, like, they know what happens in the game, and they're, like, but they're, like, playing up the drama of, like, ooh, somebody just built a great board. I don't I don't think that's, you know, so great, and I'm a little worried about it or whatever. It's, like, okay, cool, here's, like, a nice little aside to sort of, like create a story out of the out of the Magic game that is, like, currently being played, which, you know, I feel like that's pretty forgivable but like when you're trying to like extract story out of stuff that just like doesn't seem like it has a story i guess i don't know like that that's not that's not great i have a weird appreciation in a bad way for reality television that came out of the kroll show because that's essentially have i ever explained this before this is like the central conceit of the kroll show is that it is 
all of these reality television shows, but they are all, but it, it is like sketch comedy and it's all in the same like universe. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so because I have seen like the ruthless satire of reality television of the Kroll show, I can actually like watch some reality television in a very like, oh my God, what's going on way. I really enjoy the show Tanked, which I've watched in only ever in hotel rooms, which is about like a guy and his, and his tank, his, um, his aquarium business where he goes and he makes like custom aquariums for like football stars and stuff. Or whatever. And he's actually, he's, he's from, I think he's from, like, Brooklyn. He has, like, a super thick, like, New York accent or whatever. And it's incredibly bad and super terrible and uninteresting. But also, like, captivating. Yeah. no. So, like, I, I've seen shows like that, right? Like, my favorite one for hotel room reality shows is uh, is Bar Rescue. I like um, that we're, co- we're coining hotel room reality shows. Um, well, so the, the time I started watching this, we like turned on the the. Te- we were going to uh, EDC in Vegas, and that's like an overnight thing. But we just like turned on the TV, and there was a bar rescue marathon going on. I think we just left the TV on the entire weekend, and uh, it was always playing Bar Rescue, and it was like not super compelling, but it's it's you know it's like Hell's Kitchen, but with like a guy who's less charismatic but angrier than Gordon Ramsay, um, with advertisements for different tequila brands in the middle of it. So. Uh, like, those things can be fun, especially when, like, you know, they, they spruce up drama, right? This show just, like, failed in, like, almost every way. Like, at about the 20-minute mark, I think, they uh, they have people, like, they have the everybody rank everybody else. And I'm like, oh, they're going to mine this for drama. They're going to show it to people, and people are going to start going at each other, albeit through chats on the internet because they can't meet each other in real person. But, you know, maybe that'll be something. By the time we hit, like, this 40-minute mark where we turned it off, they still hadn't revealed that. So it's just like, Jesus Christ, what are you doing? It's just, like, people talking to each other in the most fake fucking way possible. Uh, and, like, if you want like if you want to see, like, the worst way to do one of these shows, because, like, you can't even have any interpersonal drama because, by definition, they can't meet each other, right? They're all sitting in their own rooms talking to their televisions. Like, the idea is kind of neat, but, like, the actual implementation is just so god-awful. Um, but yeah, definitely anti-recommend the circle. Um, if you, buddy, if you're like really bored and you have nothing better to do, maybe put it on in the background for like half an hour just to see like the, 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 the travesty that it is. But like, that's, that's the best I can do. You know, I honestly, uh, I just have like too many like good things to watch. Yeah. You know, um, that's, that's like, you know, you, you know, know it's funny. I've, I've been rediscovering Teen Titans Go, which is to say I've been watching like the new episodes. And they're just so good, Mayo. I can't even... Okay, so the 200th episode spectacular was the Teen Titans going to the Warner Brothers Animation Studio and talking with the showrunners about like making the like about like making the show because uh because they start they start the episode and they're like in that basic room in titan's tower but then they go to the kitchen and the kitchen isn't drawn and beast boy's like ah what's going on or whatever and they like follow the thread they're like hey why aren't you guys working on this show and the whole thing is about it's like i how did how did they do this the whole thing is making fun of the idea that these animation employees are like working their asses off under like inhuman conditions they're like subtweeting warner brothers in the 200th episode of teen titans go and it's just i can't even it was it's it's too good it's just like this this show is so good 
and it's also for kids. I don't understand. Um, yeah, and then the other thing. Oh, so the other thing I watched. Did I tell you I watched Shira? I watched all of Shira. Oh, how how was it? Uh, fucking amazing. Just like on a drams meter. Uh, it kind of takes a little bit after Steven Universe in this sort of way, right? Like in the sense that it's one of those things where the story starts kind of small and contained. But the world is – but there's, like, a lot of mysteries to the world with, like, clues sort of seated about. There's four seasons of it total. I did not expect that show to get so dramatic so quickly, but it did. It uh, It's basically Avatar The Last Airbender crossed with Steven Universe. Or kind of like Steven Universe if, like, the hokey episodes all got taken out, right? Like, the ones where it's like, haha, the, the, the fry, fry bits – I like fry bits or whatever. You know what I mean? Like those episodes. That's what that's what she writes. It's just like nonstop direct injection injection of drama, and I can't even believe that it's also like a kids show or whatever. Neat. I have. Yeah. I don't know. I I have not had any interaction with Shira at all. Um, so I yeah, can't. I mean, really... I, the only other thing I know about Shira is like the really dumb sort of like controversy because people didn't like the redesign but like obviously i would never really listen to those people in the first place so yeah yeah um i don't know i don't watch shows for teenage girls generally so uh um the other things i watched week is uh i rewatched um millennium actress uh which i talked about earlier this year when i watched it for the first time but it is uh-huh. it remains excellent um uh, so uh, I I want to just give it a second recommendation for anybody out there who ha- who hasn't watched it yet. Um, it's uh, it's it's a very well done story. It's it's very beautifully animated. Um, it's a very interesting kind of like meta story almost because it's about um an actress like over the course of her career where and she was like uh, born in pre war like pre World War Two Japan. And then, uh, uh, like right pre World War Two, I think she was like a a teen when uh, when the war happens because they make some vague reference to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, or not not so vague. There's there's a couple of scenes that make it very explicit what's happening. Um, and then it makes it all the way to, and then it goes to the end of her life. And it's about um, it kind of intertwines her life with her like pieces, but it's all fictional, right? So it's kind of like you know, it's it's not like this is a real person who who you're looking at but it's still it's still very well done right like it's um how like her roles interacting with the things that happen in her real life and her kind of chasing after this uh man she met early in her life and never and always kind of like n- never catching up with him um i like said very beautifully done uh very uh very heartwarming um i highly recommend it to everybody uh the other movie i watched over the weekend was i rewatched cloud atlas um and the Cloud Atlas, uh, I think, was critically panned at the time. Um, I remember when I first saw it, I thought it was just okay. Um, I confirmed my opinion that it's just kind of okay. Um, I do kind of want to read the book now just because I feel like the biggest problem with that movie is that none of the stories besides the uh, Fabricant story, which is kind of like the set, the story set in, set in Neo Soul, the rest of them just kind of don't have enough room to breathe and like well they do some neat connection things which makes a lot of sense it just doesn't quite 
flow together so much that the points of connection are kind of sparse in some places. Um, and like I said, the, the non-fabricant stories don't have a ton of uh, resolution or ton of action to them. It's kind of like establishing thing, maybe one scene of intermittent action and then like a big climactic scene. Um, like the fabricant scene and maybe the, the future story uh, get a little bit more, but it's, you know... Yeah, I rem- the, here's what I vaguely remember about my opinion on Cloud, La- Cloud Atlas. I remember thinking that it was not uh, that it had that it had like all of the t- kind of like typical problems, like pacing problems, and like the story didn't really like hang together very well. Um, but that I appreciated it because it sort of it was like one of those swing for the fences kind of movies, right? Yeah. I respected the ambition uh, and the thing that I like about it, and this is also. In a certain sense, I don't think I would enjoy Batman vs. Superman if I didn't like Cloud Atlas. So maybe this is like the herb movie in some ways for me. Um, But I remember having a conversation with Cloud Atlas with a friend of mine who was very frustrated because he said, Cloud Atlas raises a lot of questions and has no answers. And he he was really mad about that, right? Because we were talking about like, I was like, oh, it's very ambitious. He's like, it's not really that ambitious because it's not actually saying anything. I was like, it's, you know, it's got all of this stuff on its mind or whatever. And I think that that's a fair thing for a movie to do. Movies are kind of allowed to just kind of pose questions and not necessarily like resolve them. Like a movie doesn't have to have an opinion on all of the, the things it's asking. Um, and that was what I liked about Cloud Atlas. And that's all I really remember about it. I actually don't even really remember the plot that much. Yeah, um, I mean, if, like, if you what? want like a they're, they're each each kind of sub story has its own theme. But if you yeah, want like yeah, yeah. if you want like the like it's very kind of. Like the big themes are like anti bigotry, right? Because there's like a yeah, slave so owner on a slave. ship. I there's don't like the World War Two stuff. Oh yeah, and then I remember. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the the the, uh, the World War Two stuff is it's not there's not the World War Two stuff is for uh, uh, is for uh, the other movie Millennium Act. Just World War Two gets mentioned, which is like the gay composer, which is another anti bigotry thing, and then there's. Uh, and then the main story, like the, the big story is the fabricant, which is like these synthetic humans. Yeah, so um, I remember that, yeah. Yeah. Um, if you want like the the like real theme, just listen to – I forget what her name is. But the, the fabricant's speech, which is like essentially our lives are not our own. The actions we take echo like echo throughout eternity type of stuff. Um, and it's all about how like the different actions of different people uh, like affect things in the future and like how things – kind of reverberate forward through time and that, that's like the big theme of it um i think some of those connections are a little bit tenuous um uh uh but uh but you know it works out um it's all right um and like the speech is very good like th- that moment that kind of climax moment where she's giving uh basically the rep- the fabricant gives a speech while like her rebel force is uh is being like a like crashed down on by the uh by the oppressive government um and uh and it's like interspersed with like uh her talk so essentially it starts out with her sitting down because she's been captured and she's giving one last interview i mean it kind of tells a story out of order but it's it's uh it's it's definitely interesting and the themes i think are pretty clear um there's just like not a lot of like I, it's weird that he says that there's uh, who, whoever says there's unanswered questions because I feel like one thing it's pretty good at is answering the questions that it sets out. Like it kind of wraps up all of its plot threads. Um, just doesn't like say a lot about a couple of things, right? Like 
I don't know. Honestly, I haven't watched. I could. I can't even have this conversation because yeah. I just don't remember the movie well enough. Which maybe is point, an indictment in in and of itself. Um, yeah, at some point we'll do a Wachowski cannon yeah. story or episode. I'm sure, or a couple. Um, uh, um, after that, we kind of we we clicked down one and turned on Jupiter Ascending, which is absolutely fucking abysmal. I only made it halfway through that before I went to sleep. Oh yeah, um, I heard uh, I heard Jupiter Ascending is like worth it in a cringe vert way for Eddie Redmayne's weird ass performance. Eddie Redmayne but, uh, is the only thing that makes it like he like overacts the shit out of it and like really chews the scenery, and like he's the only thing that's remotely entertaining about that. Like, my, like Mila Kunis just isn't a great actor. Neither is like, oh, what's the, the, the guy's name? He's like, I want to call him like Chad McChatterson. Oh, Channing um, Tatum. I like Channing yeah, Tatum. Yeah, there a lot. we go. Well, I like the the Mad uh, Mad Mike Magic Mike movies a lot. Um, so you know, I'm not saying he's a bad actor. I'm just saying he that his part in Jupiter Ascending isn't particularly well acted. Yeah. I don't think. No, yeah, um, he's a very good actor. I would highly recommend everyone out there. I mean, I understand that obviously the memes about Magic Mike are the memes or whatever, but Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL are like two of the better movies from the 2010s. It would probably be in my top, I don't know, 25 films. Uh, of the decade, those two those two movies, they were just, like, super great. Uh, people don't realize how dramatic Magic Mike is. Um, because, I mean, they're, they're both Steven Soderbergh movies in a sense. Steven Soderbergh was the director of Magic Mike, but then he actually swapped places with his DP, and his DP directed Magic Mike XXL. Well, I'm pretty sure he served as DP on that movie, just because, like, this was, like, a guy. Steven Soderbergh is like that. Um, and... Uh, and they're just, like, these really great movies that are just, like, about very, like, small bits of character drama. But, like, I can perfectly... Like, it's funny that a movie like Magic Mike, I can, like, recount moments in a way that I couldn't with Cloud Atlas. Maybe that's, maybe that's like, what I mean when I say, you know, I forgot about it, so it couldn't be that good. Um, but there's just, like, these very small moments that are, like, mm, meaningful. Uh, millennial ennui, Mango. <laughs> That uh, that make those movies very good. Fair enough. Um, the last thing I wanted to give a shout out to is uh, kind of in some downtime over the weekend. Uh, uh, we were talking. We just wanted something out of the background. So we turned on. It's a YouTube channel called uh, Hindu Cowgirl. But it's just, I believe it's, it's, it's a woman driving a train in like Oslo, Norway. And it's just, it's called a live stream. I think it's all pre-recorded footage, but it's just... From the perspective of the cockpit of these trains driving through, uh, like the mountains of Norway, and it's like very serene and very relaxing. Right? Like if you just want to kind of chill out and like look out, like and just like watch some scenery go by, these videos are are, are pretty are pretty great for that. Um, the inspiration for this was, by the way, video game Donkey put out a video called like, uh, like. Birds like birds like sword fight Lel XD or something like that, and like half the footage is just B roll of trains going by, and it's like the weirdest fucking video. But like the friend of the show X mentioned that people just like watch live streams of of trains driving by, so he put one on and it was like this is pretty great. 
um, especially this kind of background noise. So, you know, I can recommend well, that, yeah, that. I mean, the, the YouTube video that besides all of these commander things is, uh, is like, have you seen the new ContraPoints video? Have you heard about this new ContraPoints oh, video? Oh, I, I, I heard of it. I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. Yeah, so, uh, okay. I just want to tell this small story in public, which is probably not great. I'm going to be canceled. Okay, so ContraPoints got canceled, right, for including four seconds. I'm going to be very discharitable to, to the, the controversy. Um, she put out a video called Opulence, which is essentially about sort of, uh, it's sort of like a meta ethics video on like aesthetics of wealth, essentially, which is absolutely weird, but it's, you know, I actually like those ContraPoints videos best. So cool. Opulence is great. In it, there is a four second audio clip of a guy reading a John Waters quote. This is very common among these sorts of YouTubers, right? They'll like pick people and be like, hey, can you just read this quote? Send me the audio file. Put it in my put it in my thing. She chose a guy named Buck Angel, who is uh, a trans porn star from kind of like the early 2000s is when he like first like rose to prominence, uh, who is apparently like a shithead on Twitter about various things. So everybody was like, oh my God, I can't believe ContraPoints included this person. She's evil. She's terrible. All these other things. So she made a basically feature film um, on cancel culture where she kind of goes through all of, all of the receipts of just like all of this stuff. And I had the distinct pleasure of being in a discord server where and it's not one that I visit. I, I kind of like pay attention to it every once in a while. I won't name the server, um, but I was in this server and I, all of a sudden I got I was getting on these pings and I was like, "What the fuck?" And it's because people were like, "Oh my god, ContraPoints put out a new video." I hate ContraPoints. She's so terrible. And eventually, it got to people quote quoting themselves on the screen as she was going through right the the harassment that she essentially received as being. Um, as being a content creator right like people were like saying you know eat shit what a traitor die all this other stuff it sucks and people were like congratulating themselves on like oh my god look she tweeted or she included my tweet and uh that was gross but uh but then i went in the chat and i said that i liked contrapoints and they all got so mad and it started a fight so that the mods came in and were like okay we can't talk about contrapoints anymore so that that happened that's the youtube drama in my life uh i highly recommend the video i think it's it's good and complex and nuanced uh but uh but yeah yeah i don't i don't know if i can say anything else to it but uh yeah is this a very like internalized uh this is like a very internalized thing that i have like a window into because i spend a lot of time on twitter obviously like for my job and stuff like that so i'll like see this stuff it is weird by the way how many of these people overlap with like gaming people um like when i was posting for akupara games contrapoints was trending for me on that account and i was like that is insane um but anyway uh yeah i guess that's it yeah well uh uh, I don't know. I, I guess that's all, all we have time for. Uh, if you want, email us about anything we talked about with regards to magic or ContraPoints or train live streams. You can email us at SimDirtsPlayGames at gmail.com or podcast at SimDirtsPlayGames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash SimDirtsPlayGames. You can donate to us on Patreon. Rate and review us wherever podcasts are found. All that good stuff. But if you have anything else you wanted to promote, 
Uh, I'm not looking to promote anything else. Well, in that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.